Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message from the Vandalia, Michigan campus. For more info, look us up at newdaycommunity.org. Hello, this is Pastor Mark, and I am actually re-recording the sermon from yesterday because for some reason it wasn't recorded. It was just a a blank uh, file. Uh, when I went to upload the sermon this morning. So I'm actually re-recording it because we are beginning our small groups, and it is uh, a significant part of the the small groups that we're actually going to be discussing these sermons. So I'm going to re-record this one, and hopefully we can solve this problem because I'm not preaching all of these, and I don't know what I would do in that case. So encourage you guys, if you're listening, to turn up to church if, if you can to hear the sermon, and we were going to do our best to get these recorded. Uh, So today we're starting our series uh, called You Have Heard It Said, a series on chapter 5 of the Sermon on the Mount. But before we jump into that, I just wanted to ask a question. You know, does anybody, has anybody ever joined a a club or an organization? You know, maybe it's Awanas or or Cub Scouts or some sort of a civic uh, opportunity for you. Right, and what we know about that is that there's always rules. There's always requirements for being a part. Maybe there's dues. Uh, there's certain a- attendance requirements or responsibilities. I'm actually right now trying to join a community band up in Kalamazoo, and I'm I'm excited about that. Uh, I've got a little bit of opportunity in my my schedule as my school career kind of winds down a, a little bit. I've got this opportunity, and I've, I, I love playing the trumpet, and I would love to, to be part of, of a band, of a community band. It also gives me an opportunity to get out in the community and get to know people. Uh, so I reached out to the, the director of the Kalamazoo Concert Band and asked him if there was room in the, the trumpet section. And unfortunately, he's like, no, there's not room in, in the trumpet section. Uh, you know, I'll let you know. But I am considering uh, opening up the, the K College Band to the community. Uh, it's going to be called the Academy Street Winds. I want to make it a, a pr- premier wind ensemble in Kalamazoo. I'm just like, oh man, I don't, I don't know if I'm premier level, but I'm interested. What are the, what are, you know, what are the expectations of being part of the ASW? And he's like, well, there's a, a practice on Monday late afternoons for an hour and a half. And there's a practice Wednesday nights for an hour and a half. And I'm like, oh, man, that is more than I expected. Uh, don't, can I fit two practices a week into my schedule? I'm not sure. And so I'm still trying to decide on that and kind of wrestle through that and see if that is an option for me. I, I hope that I can swing it, but I'll let, I'll let you know. But I... The, the point is that there are always these expectations, these obligations or requirements for being part of an organization. And following Jesus is really no different. The, the Sermon on the Mount answers this question, how do we live as disciples of Jesus? Or what are the expectations put upon us as followers of Jesus? You know, his his disciples would have said as they're listening to him, you know, we know what we have to do to follow Moses, but what do we need to do in order to follow you? How do we follow you? What is the requirement? And the reality is that we see in the Sermon on the Mountain, we see in the teaching of Jesus throughout the Gospels, is that that there is a high cost. 
There is a a very high cost to following Jesus. It actually requires that we give up our entire lives, our own wills and our own desires, and that we die to ourselves to surrender to Jesus. But the the good news, right, that sounds a little bit heavy, but the good news is on the other side of of self-death, of following Jesus to the cross, following Jesus in the way of the cross, is that we find abundant life. We find fullness of, of life that we will never encounter as we try to grasp for life in our own power. And as some people are listening to Jesus, they had thought that Jesus had come to actually abolish or to, to get rid of the law, right? They're like, oh, he's, he's putting away the, the old law of Moses, the Mosaic Covenant, and he's, he's doing something brand new. But, but Jesus says, no, 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 no. He did not come to get rid of the law, but he came to fulfill it, to reveal what the, the law is actually supposed to be, to show how it, uh, what the, the core or the root of the law is. And so Jesus gathers his disciples around him and he gives them these instructions. And this is from Matthew 5, 19 and 20, the verses directly before our text today about murder. All right, so Jesus gathers his disciples around and he says this. He says, therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. All right, so here Jesus very clearly is like, no, 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 I've not come to get rid of these. If you ignore the commands, the things that, that Moses called you, the things that I am calling you to, then you will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But if you practice them as you teach others to practice these commands, you are going to be called great. And then he goes on and says this in verse 20. He says, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now we might read that and uh, not really think too much of it. It's a, it's a fairly familiar verse for many of us that grew up in the church. But that verse in uh, that that verse verse twenty would have been absolutely jaw droppingly shocking for anybody listening there when he said you need to be more righteous than the scribes and the Pharisees. Whoa, 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 what are you talking about, Jesus? How is that even possible? Right, the scribes are these professional students and teachers of the law, and the in the. The Pharisees are members of this movement that have devoted themselves to the scrupulous observant, both of the the Old Testament law and the the religious tradition that is surrounding them. The the Pharisees believe that if we can obey the law and teach Israel to obey every little bit of, of the law, then God will be pleased and he's going to send his Messiah to overthrow Rome and we will be restored back into the, the, our rightful position as being a blessing and ruling over the nations. Right? And so they not only obeyed the law, but they created all these other rules and regulations. We've, we know about that in uh, the, the Ten Commandments, God said, you know, keep the Sabbath, but the The Pharisees came and added all these regulations, you know, like you can walk a mile in the Sabbath, but you can't walk two miles. You can do this at home, but you can't do this. And they surround the the law with all these regulations so nobody even gets close to disobeying the law so that they can be 
supremely pleasing to God. And so these are these two groups of professional law keepers. In Jesus, you're saying that we need to be more righteous than them? That's crazy. What are you talking about? How can someone surpass the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees? And what we learn through the the Sermon on the Mount, through the teaching of Jesus, really through the teaching of the Word of God from beginning to end, is that it's all about our hearts. It's all about our motivations. We need hearts that love God and long to be pleasing to Him. We need hearts that are pure and, and, and righteous. What Jesus is teaching is that kingdom living happens at the heart level. We need hearts that are pure and righteous before God. Right, but here's the problem. The problem is that our hearts aren't pure. Our hearts aren't righteous. They're actually broken and corrupt. And we cannot conform ourselves through, through legalism. We can't, you know, uh, abandon the law and just go, well, it's just going to be grace, right? We can't ab- abandon, uh, we can't do anything about changing our hearts. It's not an act of our own will. It's not some try-harder legalism, but it is the work of the Holy Spirit. What Jesus calls us to do in the Sermon on the Mount, in his commands, is not something that we can do. But it is something that the Holy Spirit can do, and it is something that the Holy Spirit wants to do. He wants to give us new hearts. He wants to purify us. He wants to make us right before God. And, he, and Jesus did that. He, he paved the way for us to be right before God through his death on the cross. And so Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount teaches that righteousness is not just about right action, but it is about right hearts. And what we see is that when we have right hearts, not because of our hard work, but through the work of Jesus and through the work of the Holy Spirit, when we have right hearts and we run after that with all that we have, right actions are going to follow. So let's jump into our text and see how this idea applies to the, the Jesus teaching on murder. So we're going to start in chapter 5 of Matthew, starting in verse 21. Jesus says, You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, You shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, You fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. So Jesus connects murder. You've said not murder, but I tell you anyone who is angry will also be subject to the same judgment. Anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka is answerable to the court. And Raka is this Aramaic word. It actually means empty. And so in this uh, kind of derogatory sense, it would have meant empty-headed or good for nothing. And so these this idea of calling somebody raka, 
good for nothing or calling somebody a fool, they're not particularly vulgar words. We actually see Jesus use uh, fool, calls people foolish in chapter 23, 17. But here in the the context of of Jesus' teaching, they're suggesting an, an attitude of angry contempt. These words are coming up from a place of anger and hatred and pride and arrogance. Like we, we understand that, that murder is wrong. And, and maybe when we were uh, you know, seeing what the, the sermon was today, and it's like, oh, today's about murder. Well, that's great. It's going to be kind of a, a morning off for me because I, I have not ever murdered somebody. Murder is not one of the things that I struggle with. So I'm just going to kind of kick my feet up and, and relax today. But what, what Jesus does right, is he equates murder with anger. Right? And we know that murder is wrong. We know that there are consequences. If you murder somebody, you're going to get caught. You're going to get taken to the judge. You're going to get sentenced, and you are going to receive judgment. But anger is much more difficult, if not impossible, to be proven in a court of law. Right? You can't look at somebody and tell if they're angry or not, because we don't always know what's going on on the inside. And Jesus tells something really significant to the, the scribes and the Pharisees later in the, the Gospel of Matthew, in Matthew 23, 27. He tells the, these Pharisees that they're like whitewashed tombs, that they're, they look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead, full of everything unclean. Right? And so it's like these scribes and Pharisees, they, they look good on the outside. They've, they've got their robes and, and tassels and beards looking real sharp. Right? They're keeping the laws. They're, they're carrying the Torah. They can quote the Torah. They can do all the things. Right? But inside, and this is what Jesus was getting at, that your, your righteousness needs to surpass them, is that inside they were corrupt. They were only caring about themselves, their own power, their own privilege, their own anger, and their own fear. And they couldn't have been taken to a court of law because they saw, they looked like everything was put together. But what Jesus teaches here is that God sees inside. God sees, and not only does he see, but he is going to judge not just your actions, but your hearts. He is calling us to have pure and holy hearts. And this is so intense, right? Jesus' teaching here on, on anger is so harsh. He equates it with a capital crime, right? How, Jesus, how can you do that? And, and then we want to kind of pull back or maybe look for some examples of, of righteous anger and, and wrestle with it. You know, is my anger good or is it evil? But Jesus doesn't give any qualifications. He doesn't pull it back. He doesn't talk about righteous anger at all. And so what we, what we learn and what we see, the, the teaching of Jesus is that we must purge anger from our hearts as quickly and aggressively as we keep ourselves from murder. Let me say that again. We must purge anger from our hearts as quickly and aggressively as we keep ourselves from murder. That's what Jesus is calling us to. That is the expectation of following Jesus, being a Jesus follower. 
Right? We might have thought that the, the law of Moses was difficult, and actually it is very difficult. Nobody was able to, to follow it. People always fell short. We see that throughout the, the history of Israel. Right? We even see similar things in, in our own lives. We have these expectations of what God is calling us to, and yet we continually fall short. And in this case, the, the, we, we, we're called to not only not murder, which we can actually probably do for the most part, but we're actually told we can't even be angry. And we could look at some teachings on permissible anger in Jeremiah 6, uh, 15, 15, and Ephesians 4, 26. And Martin Luther, the, the famous uh, theologian, he called righteous anger an anger of love, one that wishes no one any evil, one that is friendly to the person but hostile to the sin. And, I, and I'm guessing that it is not righteous anger that we're struggling with most of the time. When we're feeling angry, it's not the righteous kind, probably. When somebody cuts us off, right, that is not righteous anger that wells up inside of us. When we're mad at our boss, that is not likely righteous anger that is rising up. When we're angry at our spouse or with our kids, most likely it's not righteous anger. John Stott, a 21st century uh, theologian and pastor and author, said, Anger and insult are ugly symptoms of a desire to get rid of somebody who stands in our way. And so when we are angry with somebody that, that cuts us off, right? It's, like I said, it's not righteous anger. We're mad because they have gotten in our way. And we believe, whether we realize it sometimes or whether it's just lingering inside the, the depths of our, our minds, is that we feel like we're the center of the universe and we are in a bigger hurry and we are more important. And I can't believe you cut me off. Right? When we're angry with our boss, it's not righteous anger, but it's, we feel like oh, they're, they're holding me back or they're manipulating me or they're controlling me and I should be free and I should be powerful and I should have influence. So we need to ask ourselves, where do we see anger in our lives? Where are we allowing anger just to kind of hang out and, and linger in our spirits? Because the goal of, of this sermon, then the, the goal of Jesus' sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, was not just to teach some information. It wasn't just this idea that uh, we wanted to pass along. Here's kind of some stuff that you should know about the, the kingdom, and now that you know it, you're more righteous. No, but this Sermon on the Mount and this sermon today is calling us to an obedience to the way of Jesus. And so how do we apply this to our lives? Where is it that we struggle with the anger of pride and hatred and revenge. Right, where is it that you feel the anger welling up in you when you find yourself saying out loud or saying to yourself, Raka, or idiot, or fool, or maybe even a worse word? With your spouse or your kids, other family members, maybe it's other people at church or coworkers, people of the, the opposite political persuasion than you people on different socioeconomic uh, statuses. 
Maybe it's people of a different culture or a different race. There can be all sorts of people that we harbor anger and resentment towards. And why is it? It often rises up because of our selfishness, our fear, and our thirst for revenge, because we think we are the center of the universe. And a lot of times when we recognize anger in ourselves, we justify it in some way. But Jesus here in the Sermon on the Mount gives us no qualifiers. He doesn't say, but I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment unless that other person hurt them on purpose. He doesn't say that. And he gives us this shining example of what it looks like to do this. Jesus, on his way to the cross, was taken by Roman centurions. His back was beaten bloody. He, was, he had a, a, a crown of thorns shoved onto his head. He had nails or giant spikes driven through his hands and his feet as he was lifted up on this cross. And what does he say? He says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Now, I think that is incredible. That Jesus, even though these men were purposefully murdering him, killing him, even though he was sinless and perfect, yet he refuses to hold on to anger, to hold on to bitterness. He realizes that these people are broken, misunderstanding, fearful. And he says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And so we follow the way of Jesus. And when we find anger and bitterness, when people have offended us, we release them. So this is easier said than done, right? What do you do when you discover this anger in your heart? And I don't want to oversimplify it, but we need to bring it to Jesus. We need to to lay it down before him. We need to, to forgive them and to refuse to hold on to the poison of bitterness. And maybe you say, I've tried that, it doesn't work. But if, I, I don't know any other way. Right? I'm a believer in Jesus. I'm a believer in the, the, uh, the transformational power of the Holy Spirit. I believe that Jesus, through his death and resurrection, set us free from the law of sin and death. But there is a process that we need to walk out. We need to continually bring our brokenness, to bring our garbage to the foot of the cross and say, Jesus, here's some more stuff. Would you set me free? Here is this anger. Here's this person that I'm so mad at. I actually wish that they were dead, but I know that that is not what I should do as a follower of Jesus, a follower of you. So I'm bringing it to the cross. Would you help me to lay it down? Would you help me to forgive them? Will you help me to let go of this? And this isn't a a one-time event. This is an ongoing process where we grow in our uh, ability to release our anger and to offer forgiveness. And I have actually grown 
so much in this area. I used to be, believe it or, or not, some people are surprised when I say this, that I used to actually be consumed by anger. And while I didn't often kind of just let it out, I internalized it, but I would get angry. And I remember one time I was so mad that I slammed my hand into a into a wall, not knowing that there was a trim nail sticking out there. And I got this great big gouge in the palm of my hand. I remember one time being so angry at, at Fox Brothers, right, that I went out to the, into the warehouse, screamed, and threw a stapler across the warehouse, busting it all to pieces, right? And, and it was just this thing that would, I just didn't know what to do with my anger. But through continually bringing it to Jesus, recognizing that it is sin, recognizing that uh, to, to follow Jesus is to learn to, to die to myself, continually bringing that to him, I have gotten so much freedom. And this thing happened uh, a few weeks ago that uh, at one point in my life probably would have set me off, but uh, because of the grace of God, you know, I, 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 it didn't this time. So my, my son Josh and I were working at, at the church together, and we drove to Three Rivers, and we were going to grab some, some dinner. And so we went to Wendy's uh, just to get something quick, but they weren't taking um, debit cards for some reason. Their machine broke, and so I was like, all right, Josh, well, where are we going to go? And he's like, well, let's just go over to McDonald's. And I'm like, great, we'll do that. So we go over to the, the McDonald's there in, in Three Rivers, and they have this cool thing, um, this, like, screen you can go up and you can just touch screen you can order your your meal so i ordered my meal we paid for it and we grabbed our number and we went and sat down well about 10 minutes later this nice manager lady uh comes over and she's like i'm so sorry we had to clean our grills we don't you know we can't make your quarter pounder or whatever would you, would you like just a, a big mac or something like that and i was like okay fine whatever that no no problem and so we're sitting there and josh and i are just chatting uh, she comes back another five, ten minutes later, and she's like, I'm, I'm so sorry. You know, the, the grills are down. We're, we're cleaning them off. We don't have the food, uh, but we will get it uh, for you as quickly as possible. Is there anything that I can do for you? And I'm like, you know what? No, it's fine. Uh, just maybe just bring us our, our drinks, and we'll just, we'll just wait. It shouldn't be too long. And so she brings us our, our drinks, and that's great. A few minutes later, she comes again, and she's like, I'm so sorry. Uh, can I give you your money back? You know, but it's it's just going to be a little bit. I'm like, sure, yeah, I'll take my money back. That sounds good. So she refunds us our, our money, and we're we're sitting there. Uh, now we've probably been there for a half hour or more, and I start to notice that some people that have come in after us have gotten their food and left. And I'm like, Josh, do you think that they? gave us our money back and they just thought we were going to leave? Do you think they forgot about us? And so I go up to the de- the counter and I'm like, hey, what's going on? And she's like, I'm really sorry. Uh, you know, it, it's, we're, it's, it's on its way. I'm like, okay. Uh, we we sit, back, sit back down and now it's been almost 45 minutes. And I'm like, Josh, now I'm, I'm actually starting to get irritated now. And, uh, but Josh in his amazing 18-year-old wisdom was like, well, you know, Dad, we don't actually get to spend very much time together, so this is, this is kind of fun. It's going to be a great story, because we were just kind of laughing about it. And I'm like, all right, that's great. We'll just, we got nothing going on, so we're cool. And so we just sat there, and eventually this, this lady, it's probably, I don't know, 50, 55 minutes later, brings us our food, and, and we eat our gross McDonald's food. 
And it was just this funny story, and we just kind of moved on. Well, I was telling somebody else about that story, and they couldn't believe that I didn't get angry. And he's like, you've got to, that, you know, you're just a, being a pushover. You have to be angry. You have to fight for your right. I don't even know what he was talking about. I'm like, what would that have helped? Like, we got our money back. We could have laughed or whatever. Like, what does, how does anger help this situation? Right? It's this idea that, oh, I'm the center of the universe, and so these people need to meet my needs right now. Right? I've been a manager at a, at a restaurant uh, at Little Caesars enough to, to know that you don't do that kind of thing to somebody on purpose. Right? But anyway, and so this thing that used to, or would have at one time, just drudged up all this anger in me, kind of ruined the night, ended up just... It was fine. It didn't, it didn't have a hold on me and actually made for a great story, one that I can use in this, even, even this sermon. So there we go. Uh, so what was my point? We need to continually bring our junk to Jesus, and he promises, and he is faithful to set us free. He has set us free from the law of sin and death so that we can step into fullness of life and fullness of freedom. Right, And so then Jesus actually gives two illustrations about what this looks like. What does it look like to be a follower of Jesus and not allow anger to rule in you? And the first illustration is about relationships within the community. Verse 23, he says, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. And in this example, the situation, it's not about one's own anger, but that we need to take steps to reconcile, or to reconcile with other people who are angry at us. And we, we probably have read this story many times, and the, the temple imagery kind of uh, removes us from the impact of the, the story. So let me put it in our own context. Imagine Jesus said something like this. If you are worshiping at church on Sunday morning, Jamie is crushing it, right? Just like he did on Sunday morning. He absolutely crushed it. And the the spirit is moving. It feels good to be in the presence of God. And all of a sudden, you remember that someone on the other side of town has something against you. Leave. Go and find that person. Work it out. Then, and only then, can you come back to worship. Think about that. Can you imagine, can you put yourself in that place where you are worshiping, remember that somebody has something against you, and actually leave Sunday morning service to go and reconcile? Right? That is what Jesus is calling us to do as Christ followers. If there's somebody in the body of Christ, one of our brothers or sisters, has an issue with us, we need to go. We need to run after them. Right? We need to do whatever we can, take whatever initiative we need to take to pursue reconciliation. We need to look to be restored to, to normal relationship with other people, not allowing division to, to kind of rise up in the church. We need to pursue harmony with our brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. Conflict doesn't mean that the relationship is bad. It doesn't mean the, the, the church is bad. Conflict is just part of our 
It's just part of being human, right? Being in human relationships with other people, you know, conflicts arise. But in the the way of Christ, we are called to not allow those to just exist. We're not allowed to kind of remove ourselves from those relationships. But we go and we seek out reconciliation. We forgive those who have offended us. And Pastor Cameron says it like this in a sermon that he, he preached on this very topic. He said, you cannot really worship God if there is unresolved anger and broken relationships in your life. That's pretty intense. You can't really worship God if there are unresolved anger in your heart and broken relationships in your life. Right, but we are called to run after reconciliation with our brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. But then Jesus goes on in verse 25 and he says, Settle matters quickly with your adversary or your accuser, your enemy, your opponent who is taking you to court. Do it while you're still together on the way or your adversary may hand you over to the judge and the judge may hand you over to the officer and you will be thrown into prison. Truly I tell you, you will not get out until you've paid the last penny. So we see it's not just about our brother and sister in Christ who we need to, to lay our lives down to reconcile with, but it's those who are our enemies. It's those who are outside of the church. And in both of these cases, the basic situation is the same, right? Somebody has a grievance against us, and the basic lesson is the same, the necessity of immediate, urgent action. We need to pursue reconciliation immediately. But so often we just like to let that anger and that bitterness linger, right? How many of us have been angry and a, and a happy song comes on the radio and we immediately change it, right? I don't want to listen to something happy. I'm going to find a Metallica song and just listen to that because I want to stay angry. But that is not the way of Jesus. It is not the way of the kingdom. We are called to forgive just like Jesus forgave. We are called to to forgive others just as Jesus has forgiven us. And so how are we going to respond to Jesus' teaching here? What do we do? What is our response? Again, we don't want to just hear this and take in some information, but we want to, to wrestle with this and see how it actually applies to our life. So how are you going to respond This week, I really believe that Jesus is inviting us into greater freedom. And while it feels hard, and it is hard to to die to ourselves, to to repent, to, to forgive, and to seek reconciliation, on the other side of that is abundant life. And so take 10 minutes. Ask Jesus to to show you any anger or bitterness in your heart. Then write it down. And ask Jesus to help you to repent. Repent of where you were wrong, where you have added to the the division, uh, the, the anger in this situation. Forgive the people who have wronged you. And ask Jesus to show you how it is that you should pursue reconciliation. Now those are simple steps. But it's a very hard thing to do. This is one of those messages that preaches really well but it's hard to walk out in our daily lives. So go for it. What we learn is 
from from Jesus here is that the kingdom of God is not just about conforming to the rules. Jesus in the, the Sermon on the Mount is showing us what discipleship in his kingdom looks like. And as disciples of Jesus, when it comes to anger, when we see it rising up, we must keep ourselves from anger as quickly as we keep ourselves from murder. Let me pray for you. Father God, I just thank you for your amazing grace and that you forgave us when we were in rebellion against you. And Lord, I pray for any person here that, is, that struggles with anger. Lord, that struggles uh, with forgiving others and there are, uh, there's just a trail of broken relationships in their wake. Lord, I pray that you would just be an ever-present help to them. Lord, that you would show them grace and that you would give them tools, that you would give them just the empowerment through the, the Holy Spirit, through changed hearts and changed lives to offer grace and forgiveness to other people. Lord, help us all to be a community that bears witness of you because we are set free from anger and calling people names. Lord, we love you and we ask for your grace. We bless the community groups this week. In your name we pray. Amen.